what I always say is there's two hallmarks of trauma. You don't have voice and you don't have choice. And so I'm always mindful about, am I giving them voice or allowing them to have their own voice and am I giving them choice? A lot of what I do in therapy is kind of, in essence, reparenting and teaching them about how do I understand my own emotions and how do they feel in my body? How do I give label to them? There's some wisdom when we're connected with our bodies in good and healthy ways that's not a cognitive process, but just as, as, as important as the intellectual work or thinking around it. I kind of use this uh, even as the therapist. What do I notice in my own body that's giving information about how I experience this person in front of me? We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, guys, we're so excited today to have a dear friend and colleague with us, uh, Dave Janvier. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about him and, and his resume. We'll give him a chance to um, introduce himself to you guys as well. Um, so Dave, um, he's a licensed professional counselor in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, he's a certified sex therapist through the American Board of Christian Sex Therapy um, and received his training through the Institute of Sexual Wholeness. Um, he's also a Gestalt Pastoral Care Minister. Guys, we're going to dig deep into that one. It's so cool. I can't wait to talk more about it. Um, we had the privilege of meeting Dave um, through our sex therapy network and um, through the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists and um, the Institute of Sexual Wholeness. That's where we get to spend a lot of fun time with Dave and um talk through um, being sex therapist and network and have a lot of fun. In fact, we were talking before we hit record today about um, some networking and fellowshipping that we've done um, here in Texas and how we just, we desperately need to do it again. So um, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today on the Arable Podcast. We're so excited. We're so looking forward to our time together um, to discuss trauma counseling, um, your beautiful brilliance as you've applied um, gestalt techniques to trauma counseling, to sex therapy, to your work with clients, probably your work with pastoral care, just all of it. Um, so let's jump in. Let's, let's start our conversation. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here and excited just to see you guys and to catch up and uh, just to have some fun having conversations today around all this. Yeah, um, we gave our introduction, um, but I know that you can like flavor and season that a little bit better than we can and explain what you do. So you share a little bit with our audience about yourself um, and maybe you can even add to that like your your, your um, entrance in and journey to uh, the world of counseling and mental health and pastoral care and all of that? Uh, sure. Yeah. Like, like you uh, mentioned, um, I am a licensed professional counselor and um, uh, my practice is uh, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, um, and I also have certifications uh, in trauma uh, and also in sex therapy, as you mentioned, and as a uh, Gestalt pastoral care minister. And of course, we'll, we'll dive into that. 
Um, I am married, and uh, been this May will be 24 years. And uh, uh, we celebrate you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it has. <laughs> and um, and I have two children. Uh, so my daughter Amanda is in eleventh grade, and my son Adam is in ninth grade. So we have two teenagers, uh, which you has been a little schoolers. bit of a challenge. High schoolers, been a little bit of a challenge during a pandemic, kind of locked down all together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're navigating, we navigating driving lessons as my daughter got her license <laughs> and the fear around letting her go and drive by herself. Uh, so, oh, yeah. so doing my own grounding work around that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of entered the field in a, as a second career. So my actual undergrad is in business, but I hated it and I hated all the jobs associated with it. And I think it was just a practical degree for me. So my wife and I were at a church and we did some lay counseling training and I'm like, wow, I really love this. So then I went back to school and became a therapist. Um, and then I think kind of working through my own kind of background, family of origin issues, I've been able um, to get a sense of my own healing. Um, but then all of the people that I really worked with had challenges around sexuality um, or challenges around trauma. And so I really mm -hmm. felt it was more of a sort of quest and mission uh, to really uh, hold space for people who are really struggling uh, with those things. And I really look at it, um, you know, I have all these certifications and letters and all those kinds of things, but I really look at myself as being more of a spiritual companion and holding space for people in the midst of suffering and uh, pretty mm -hmm. significant, severe suffering. Um, and that's how I kind of arrived uh, where I am uh, and kind of arrived to the place of really integrating faith and really integrating psychology and what's out there in terms of uh, theories and tools and how does that all kind of in integrate and work together. I definitely have experienced you um, as uh, when you use the word companion, there's a couple things that come up for me. One, I just experience you that way. Like when you come into a space in a room, um, you're really present and uh, wanting to connect authentically with the person in front of you. Um, I'm not in your therapy rooms with you, but I have experienced you that way in all these other settings. Um, the other thing that came up for me is um, we actually have a, a gal in our office that's trained in um, what what he called Alan Wolfelt's companioning model, which is a grief mm. model uh, for companioning. So yeah, I wanted to tell you that because um, she uses that word a lot. And, and she talks about that when you think of yourself from that posture, it really does change the way you do your therapeutic work. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, what a great reference point um, for people to understand what you do. Yeah. And, and I think that's an, an important distinction, I think, between Gestalt and other kinds of therapies, um, because it's really focused on uh, not necessarily here's a tool in my toolbox and here's what I'm going to use in terms of a technique, but it's a really uh, a way of, of how do I cultivate my own kind of inner world that I do have this presence with people. And that really dovetails very nice into presence and uh, even you know, as a Christian believer looking at Jesus's presence and how do I hold space just for where they are? And you're kind of mm -hmm. conveying some of that unconditional uh, positive regard and love uh, for people, but just meeting them kind of where they are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. 
We've thrown out the word gestalt a couple of times, uh, and, and Jen and I both have a background with gestalt approach. In fact, I would say it's kind of my primary theoretical orientation when I sit with clients. Um, That's great. Now but, I love you more. <laughs> oh, awesome. Good. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. I want to be loved. Yes, yes. I love you both. <laughs> um, for our audience, we've got some clinicians that listen and we've got some that don't. And so just can you describe gestalt approach, um, counseling generally, just for our listeners? And um, Really, I think we could all probably have different words for it, but I'd love to hear what your words, as you describe mm-hmm. the Gestalt f- philosophy and approach to counseling, and really, I think, really a way of being in in, in the world with others. We we apply it to our helping and in, in the work that we do, but I I don't know about you guys, and the conversation will will probably lend itself to this direction. But I think it's a way of being in the world. But I'd I'd love to hear your your words, Dave, and and how you describe Gestalt approach. Sure. Yeah. And Kimberly, I think you touched on this uh, by introducing it is uh, because Gestalt is such a uh, more experiential kind of being with and a- approach, it's very hard to articulate it for folks to really understand. But I'll, I'll try and do my best to, to do that. Um, because what, one of the pillars of Gestalt is this big word called phenomenological. And phenomenological is more about like how do we kind of build new uh, new awarenesses about what's happening in our own selves, but also what's happening in the dialogue or the interactions with each other or wherever you kind of show up? So the basic word gestalt is a German word. Uh, Fritz Perls was a developer of uh, gestalt theory and, uh, and gestalt therapy. And so it basically means whole or holistic, and also that many, many parts make up the whole. They actually use this term in art uh, as well, because there's all these different components of a piece of of art that make up the whole kind of system. So when we're talking about Gestalt therapy, it's really about uh, not necessarily the whys, but more of the how and what. And it's about present moment. Uh, And it's about uh, I think a more modern term, which is more commonly known now, is mindfulness. Uh, that uh-huh. wasn't used back then in the 40s and 50s when this was all, you know, being developed. But it's being mindful about how do I work and how do I operate? What are these different parts or aspects of myself that show up in particular kinds of contexts? So, like when I meet my environment and I meet people. You know, what is this contact boundary between me and what's happening and what comes up inside of me on a bodily level, on an emotional level, on a psychological level, on a spiritual level? And uh, and it's more about, am I making healthy, nourishing kinds of contact? Mm-hmm. Um, but then what gets in the way is when I'm not making healthy, nourishing kinds of contact And so a lot in psychology or in the counseling field, we kind of talk about pathology and Gestalt does not pathologize. Uh, It does not diagnose generally. And I know in our field, we have have to give diagnoses, but we see the person as being blocked in their health. There's something that is uh, interrupting their process to health. And then that's kind of what we sit with in the moment. So for example, like even in our interactions here, you know, I can sit here and I'm like, it's great to catch up with you guys because I haven't seen you for a while and we always have fun together and talk shop. Um, 
And but then I also mentioned here's this little part of me that is nervous about you know the podcast, how it's going to come off, you know, yep. all those kinds of things. And there may be parts coming up for you guys uh, around it as well. Yep. Um, but but generally, when there's a, a a client in my office, I'm really bringing awareness to their bodies, to their mm-hmm. sensations, to their feelings, to their their parts of self, so that they have an awareness about how they work and operate and how they interrupt themselves for health. And then that's what we work with, those interruptions. And we work with it experientially by developing experiments, not to figure it out, not to fix or have solutions, because then that is the client's responsibility uh, to do that. But then we build the, the tools around that. And oh. so I'll say, say that. I'm sure we could unpack that a little bit more. I, I just love how you, um, I, I do, I love your language around it, but I I, I find that we have been trained in our developmental growth to stop paying attention to ourselves. And I say that because, you know, you were talking about, you have two kids. I have two kids. Um, so is Kimberly. Um, we're all, all in a little bit different stages. We could probably like create a little ladder there. Um, but when I think about parenting and I'm glad it's changing in our society, um, we train kids to stop paying attention to themselves and attending to what's happening and, then we show up as adults and we have become so disconnected and unaware of what we're feeling in our bodies, what our desires are, what our wants, because we've essentially been told that if you pay attention to those, that leads to misbehavior rather than the opposite, mm-hmm. which is, hey, paying attention gives you a lot of choices and a great amount of ability uh, to do better for yourself, to make a healthy choice, to do differently. Um yeah, so I, I'm listening to you talk, and of course, again, we we have Gestalt backgrounds. We love it. I, I think um, the greatest disservice we do to our kids is teaching them to not pay attention, um, to squash their awareness. Right, I would totally agree with that, and I think um, a lot of what I do in therapy is kind of, in essence, reparenting and teaching them mm-hmm. about how do I understand my own emotions and how do they feel in my body. How do I give label to them? And I have these uh, feeling wheel charts in my office that's laminated. And a lot of people have to come in and just study that. And like, what does really resonate with me? But then also, you know, how do we regulate these emotions? Um, Mm -hmm. But then we can learn from them because there's some wisdom when we're connected with our bodies in good and healthy ways. That's not a cognitive process, but just as as important as the intellectual or, or thinking around it. I kind of use this uh, even as the therapist. What do I notice in my own body that's giving information about how I experience this person in front of me? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I can tell certain diagnoses uh, by how it feels in my body when I'm sitting with someone. Mm-hmm. And so you all know, you know, there's a, a personality disorder out there called borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when I'm sitting with someone with that diagnosis, it feels like they're stealing energy out of my body. Mm-hmm. And so I know when I have one in my office or have that diagnosis in my office because I can tell what's going on in my body. And I can also tell where some folks may have trauma because mm-hmm. I can sense. Now, this may not be the same for anybody, but you learn how do you dis- discern that in your mm-hmm. own body, right? But for mm-hmm. me, um, and here I am, an early therapist, and uh, you know, there's some clients, if we're all honest, that really get on our nerves, right? Just to be honest about that. There right? are some people that get on my nerves. So I mean, if <laughs> clients are people, like this is an easy yes for me. Right. 
And then I was very convicted, of course, coming from a, a Christian standpoint. God, like you, you are leading me in this area to help people, but yet they're annoying me. <laughs> but with those types of people, what I learned and how that shows up in my body as annoyance um, is they have trauma in their backgrounds because that's what they learned how to do to push people away, to not to be intimate, mm-hmm. not to be connected with. And so now I use that as information, as discernment. Huh. Wow, I'm wondering like what's in their background. I wonder it, what it is that they're trying to keep me at, at arm's length with. And so I use. It sounds that. like you you let that experience invite you into curiosity, which is another mm-hmm. word that we love a whole lot. Yes, and that's a great Gestalt word too: is to be curious. Absolutely. So it's this dialectical kind of dynamic going on between what's happening in you as the clinician, but also what's happening in them. Uh, as the client, and it's this here and now experience that you're discerning um, around. And an aspect about, you know, Gestalt pastoral care or integrating faith into that is, you know, as a believer, I'm also trying to discern in myself, you know, what's the Holy Spirit leading me to? What's the Holy Spirit bringing up in me and helping to discern what is the Holy Spirit doing uh, in the client in front of me? And trying Mm -hmm. to discern what the next moment is. Can you can you expound a little on that? Because I I love this part of your professional story and and the integration of Gestalt's philosophy into your pastoral care. So, what is that? How does it work together? You've you've done such a great job of describing kind of Gestalt approach in in the clinical realm and just in the way of being. what does that look like as far as the pastoral care piece of your work and, and training? Yeah. So I, I do this in uh, a lot in individual sessions, but I, I think if I can share like how I do intensive uh, retreat weekends, uh, mm-hmm. so you can get the fuller picture of what that looks like there. Um, so I, I am trained uh, in Gestalt. I, I went to a, a secular Gestalt Institute here in Pittsburgh, uh, but I'm also trained in an organization and I'm also a trainer for them uh, with Gestalt Pastoral Care. Um, and that's how I first got introduced uh, to this integration uh, piece of it. Um, but what it really means is there, there's a lot of components of what you would find in the field of like spiritual direction and spiritual formation um, is also wedded in, into this approach. Um, but the concept is, is that, um, well, it, specifically what, what I do is I, I work with a lot of sexual addicts as well. And I work with the spouses and then I work with mm-hmm. the coupleship. So what I'll do is um, a couple times of year, I'll go to a retreat center and take about eight or nine uh, guys I'm working with that are sexual addicts uh, for a retreat weekend uh, and work in this deep inner healing kind of model, integrating gestalt and pastoral care in the spiritual aspects. And I do other kinds of retreats um, for the spouses as well. Um, and then I'm really looking at doing a, a coupleship one eventually. Um, but how it looks is, we're, and how it's integrated is, I'm really looking at, as a group, we're arriving at this retreat center as the church, operating in the healing ministry of Jesus. I'm showing up Uh, in a way, and I'm looking at myself as a spiritual companion and just being a vessel for the kind of of healing that the Holy Spirit wants to bring about. And so I may start off the weekend by uh, sharing um, a scripture passage around healing, but doing it more in an experiential kind of way and then kind of touching in with where uh, people are and and how they're touched by that. I explain the process of how this looks um, ahead of time. 
And then everyone during the whole weekend gets a chance to kind of what we say is work. You know, this work is doing kind of the healing work. Um, mm -hmm. But then we're all around in a circle and I get down on the floor um, because as you you know, probably know um, with grounding and working with trauma, you're more grounded on the floor, but because Gestalt is so experiential and I use certain kinds of placeholders, um, like I use pillows to represent different parts. You are the king of, of pillows. I think we have to pause right here. I sat in one of your workshops and I walked away going, I don't own enough pillows. Like yes. <laughs> there's not enough pillows in my office to pull this off. Like you have got to have buckets and stacks of pillows for what yes. you do in your work. Well, if I flipped my camera around, you would see baskets in my office with <laughs> yes. many, many pillows. Yeah. Um, and this is part of the experiential part of it. And and um, so I would say how I work gestalt is my sort of framework, but I also pull in other things because there's also this, and I can go geeky about this, about the neurological, you know, like interpersonal biology kind of like underpinning yes. this. Um, and so when we're doing this kind of work at the retreat center, I work with one person individually in the middle of, of the room. And then the rest of the people are observing but they're also invited to be intercessors for prayer and for bringing up what the Holy Spirit uh, mm. wants to accomplish during that work. And so I'll, I'll sit with the person in front of me and ask them if they would want prayer to start off with. And they may want me to pray. They may pray. We may both pray to just to open up to what the Holy Spirit is leading. And um, coming to this kind of retreat or work, uh, you don't have to know what it is that you want to work on, right? Because gestalt is what's here in the moment and what's going to emerge. Some people come knowing what they want to work on. Other people are just willing. And that's all that's needed is this willingness. I'm just open to exploring and noticing what's going on. So let's say I'm working with this one guy and uh, I will, um, I'll, I'll call him uh, Toby. So Toby is saying, all I know is that I am just angry. And so we hold space. Mm. And so this whole holding space concept, I think, is so important because I don't think we know yes. what that really means in Western culture and U.S. culture. No. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I grab a pillow, pull it, put it there on the floor, and I ask Toby, would you be willing? And this is an important piece of this kind of work because you're always asking permission. And mm -hmm. oftentimes people who have trauma in their background um, what I always say is there's two hallmarks of trauma. You don't have voice and you don't have choice. And yep. so I'm always mindful about, am I giving them voice or allowing them to have their own voice? And am I giving them choice? Mm -hmm. So would you allow this pillow here on the floor, uh, allow this to be your anger? So he agrees and he goes, um, so then what Gestalt uh, theory and therapy is, it's not talking about your issues, but it's talking to them. It's not mm -hmm. talking about people, but it's talking to them. So this pillow represents his anger. So I invite him, would you be willing to speak to your anger? And this does something in the brain because it's tapping into other um, kinds of levels or other structures, right? Talking about something is more of this cognitive thing. But as you're going through the experiential processes, these are tapping into the lower parts of the brain, which are more experiential. And so another way of kind of uh, saying this is that I, I have a lot of people who are Christians come to me for therapy and they have this intellectual, theological, cognitive notion that God loves them or Jesus loves them, but they sure don't mm -hmm. feel it. And if it's not a felt sense, they don't really believe it. It's just a cognitive mm -hmm. structure, really. 
And so we do this experiential stuff to get to those lower parts of the brain where we need the shift to take place. You know, there's this thing in Gestalt sayings, uh, in sayings, uh, shift happens. <laughs> and that's what we're trying yes. to, that's what we're trying to go for here. So Tom's speaking to his anger. So he may say something like, uh, you're always with me and you're always at the surface and anything can evoke you up and, um, you know, you're coming out of me. So we may have some kind of, what we're trying to do in Gestalt is build this awareness piece of how does this mm-hmm. anger part of me really operate in me? Because a lot of us don't have that awareness, but then also how does it feel in my body? Because mm-hmm. we're trying to bring awareness and uh, to the sensation level because we're so disconnected from our sensations, right? And I always tease out sensations and feelings because they're two different mm-hmm. things. And there's two different brain structures that are operating. So the brainstem is about the sensations. The limbic system is about the feelings. Yeah. Right. So it's one thing to say, uh, I, I want to cry and I feel pressure behind my eyes. That's a sensation versus a, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Or there's a pit in my stomach versus fear or heart palpitations versus anxiety. And it's very interesting because the part of our brain for introspection is in the prefrontal cortex. And you know, when we're in a trauma state, that part checks out. And yeah, so it's introspection helps us to keep that prefrontal cortex engaged. So Tom, or, or, um, <clears throat> Toby's speaking to his uh, anger, right? And so then what I would do is uh, when we kind of unpack what that dynamic is, then I'll ask him, would you be willing to go and sit on the pillow and you become your anger and speak as your anger? So then his anger could speak as himself. Or his anger can then speak back to where Toby was sitting and have this conversation. So anger would say, yep, I'm always with you. Uh, I am present there. You're always, um, I, I, I'm always, I have control over you, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then what would happen uh, is the brain works on a law of associative memory. So then here's another layer. And what came up then is I'm really angry at my parents. So I put out two more pillows to represent his parents. Would you be willing to speak to your parents? I'm angry at you because, you know, my life is in shambles. My marriage is on on the line. And like, you don't care. And like, you know, you're not there for me. And in fact, you were never there for me. So then here's another layer where this memory comes up where he's his eight-year-old self uh, at a park. His parents just dropped him off. He's there playing by himself. And he recalls um, he's uh, walking and straddling on top of a fence, but he slips and falls uh, and he injures his testicles and he's in excruciating Mm -hmm. pain. He's trying to get back to the car, um, not able to walk very well, but he gets in the car and he does not say one word. So in Gestalt language, we have this term called interjections. Interjections Mm -hmm. are these things that we internalize about ourselves and beliefs that we live out that may not be true. So mm-hmm. here's his interjections. I'm hurting him and in pain, and there's no one there for me. My parents aren't there for me. I can't go to anybody with any kind of need. I can't go to anybody and express my pain. I don't have this experience of someone holding space for my pain, caring for me, and giving me love and giving me nurture. And that's how he lived his whole life. And this is how Gestalt gets down into those layers, because here's the source. Here's the core. So that's what we work with then. So I ask him to become his eight-year-old self. <laughs> and, uh, and in that, 
here's where where you use the experiment of the people in the room as well who are the intercessors intercessors in their prayers right and so mm-hmm. i asked the group if they would be willing to help and so i asked toby i'm like toby would you be willing to let's say kim uh, kimberly and jenna you're in the room i would ask toby toby would you be willing to look at kimberly and say kimberly i am hurting i am in pain and i need help would you help me and he couldn't do it and here's where the body is so much integrated because our muscular skeletal systems conform and constrict to prevent you doing something or reinforce actions and patterns or emotions and so he constricted up in his throat breath was shallow and so he couldn't even verbalize the words and here's where trauma impacts us by shutting down that brokra area of the brain which is the language center i have no voice i can't choose here and my body is bracing and constricting and that's what you have to work with because it's not a cognitive thing at that point so here i would invite him to do a lot of grounding techniques which gets him in his body and gets him out of that survival mode or that sympathetic fight, flight, or freeze mode and loosening up the structures through grounding techniques like deep breathing, being in the present, using your senses, all those kinds of things. So then he can have a voice. So then he may say, Kimberly, I'm hurting and I need help. Or uh, Jenna, I'm in pain, I need help, would you help me? And he was able to go around the room to each guy that was at the retreat that time and and able to do that, but with difficulty. So mm-hmm. we kept doing the grounding because really what we're trying to do now is to retrain his body, retrain his brain and nervous state system to be able to do that and do it freely without the constriction in his body. So I had him do it again around the room again. So finally, he by the end of it, he was sitting up straight. He was articulating without any kind of difficulty. Mm-hmm. So then what, what happens at the end of someone's process work like that, the whole group was invited to pray for him um, or to pray for whoever it is. And of course, we ask permission for that or how they want to be prayed for. And generally, the people come alongside and lay hands and pray for him. And then we debrief the work. But we don't debrief it by having people analyze it. But we debrief it by saying, hey, as you were observing Toby's work, what did you resonate with? What did it tap Mm -hmm. into in your own story and in your own hurt or wounds or or whatever? Um, And then everyone gets an opportunity to do that. And we kind of close the weekend in in a healing liturgy and with uh, Eucharist or communion and with anointing each other to kind of seal seal the, the work. And it is interesting because Toby showed up in my office a week later after that weekend retreat and um, he he was obviously in physical pain. So I, I was asking him what's happening because my back is hurting. And I'm like, well, how long has it been hurting for you? For you? And he goes, seven years. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, what's the doctor saying? I never went to the doctor. And I'm like, you're hurting and you're in pain and you, you need help. So this kind of like all those interjections earlier on, like impacted his whole life and even asking help for physical pain. So then he was able to get to the doctor because then he's able to kind of, you know, look at that. To use his voice, to ask for help, to get what he needs. Absolutely. Which That's was amazing. which wasn't in his neural pathways or in his physical experience. And so our bodies conform to that. And that's why it's so important to kind of be connected to the body. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's so easy for us to, I'm going to go back to something you said early on, but then, you know, illuminated throughout, you know, uh, your example here. It's so easy for us to believe that if I know about, it is the same thing as knowing and being known. Um, and mm-hmm. I am also talking about that relationship with ourself. Yes. Um, I can't tell you how many people, and I'm sure you go through this too, as they first start therapy, they want to come in and talk about the problem and talk about themselves rather than connecting with the way they are experiencing the challenge, the way they experience themselves, what's happening in their body. Yes. Um, it is It is so hard for us to make that shift because again, I'm under the belief, I'd love to hear from both of you because we all have somewhat similar flavor and backgrounds with Gestalt. I believe that children come into the world really connected with that. I believe that it gets trained out of us. Absolutely. We're conditioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're all on the same page with that. Like, I I think they know how to do that. But I think what we've told ourselves, because we come into the world deeply connected in that way, it gets trained out of us. And we assume that training, I in some ways, was appropriate. The assumption is if I get reconnected in that way, it is childish. Yes. Yeah. And and that's an excellent point, uh, Jenna. And then here, I, I hear that a lot, actually. And then what I try and tease out is, yeah, let's differentiate what is childish versus being childlike. And yes. I think oftentimes what happens, even in our faith, God calls us to this child likeness, you know, like sort of this innocent surrender and total, you know, trust. Um, and we need that. And and I think that that's, you know, kind of how we were trained even at ISW, right? With we have mm-hmm. to kind of be childlike when we're even like, you know, approaching intimacy and sexuality and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Real curious, um, are you into the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm okay. more uh, with the Myers-Briggs. Uh, the Enneagram, I would have to look at the chart. <laughs> okay. What's your Myers-Briggs? Because I was listening to you talk about how you do your work and how you experience it. Yeah. I'm kind of on, on the lines about it, but uh, but I'm more uh, like a, an ENFJ. Okay. Because I'm a, I'm a T. I'm close to the middle, but I'm just a little bit flipped over on the T side. And Kimberly is a feeling type. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an INFJ, so just um, more introverted than extroverted, though a little bit on the line there too. So, yeah. And yeah, I think we talked, talked about, about that when we were in Dallas. That's all. Yeah. When you <laughs> talked about feeling the room mm-hmm. and like having this like human thermometer, I have to tell you, I don't think the thinking types have that as much. I have to move through that experience a little bit different. But yeah. Kimberly, you've always been able, like you explain, like being able to sit in the room, any setting and go, oh, that's happening with you. That's happening with you. I can feel this. And I think, I think some of that is a stronger or an easier to access skill for feeling types. Whereas for me as a thinking type, I'm in the pattern. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, Dave, as you're just describing even your professional developmental process of uh, working with clients and feeling it in your body, I, I think it's it's getting to that place of what's mine and what's theirs. My body's firing mm-hmm. off. My emotional state's firing off. 
And I think um, in, in the professional developmental kind of those earlier phases, it's easy to go, I, I am feeling anxious. I am feeling anxiety in my body versus I know I'm in a relationship and that that is what that that's the information that's rising to the present moment is my you know, body is responding and I'm feeling something and letting that be such a, a powerful guide. Um, but yeah, Jenna, I think it's, um, I think the lesson, what I would say, cause I wouldn't want anyone to think, well, I guess if I'm a thinking type, I couldn't do this powerful work or I couldn't experience it in the same way. I think the challenge is different for each of us, right? I think yeah. for us who are, are more kind of feeling body intuitive leading, the work is learning to hand back what is not ours and, and let them ha- hold on to their own experience. And then I hold on to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think maybe the thinking types may have a different challenge that they have to engage yeah. with themselves, you know? I think the thinking type, so I, I actually sat under some teaching that was a little bit wounding, if I'm being honest, where mm-hmm. there was, I think it was just, uh, lazy and cheap language that implied that a thinking type couldn't do this work, which I don't uh, believe to be true. Um, and I had to work through that because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was really wounded by that. Um, but I don't think it's that we can't do this work. I think that that preference and leading with thinking, um, and I, I notice about myself is that I have to be a little bit more intentional about going to the place of being felt in the room. And I have to be really aware of when I'm tired because when I am tired and fatigued, I will lean into my preference to be cognitive and think. Um, And those strengths are great in other arenas. Um, Mm -hmm. But so there's this intentionality and just awareness of my own fatigue and energy level that really impacts my ability. Uh, This is a, this is a therapeutic term to use myself in the space. Um, and so there's, there's something there for me. That's just a little bit different, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's spot on. And, uh, yeah. And I find myself when I'm fatigued and all, like, it's harder for me to hold space, um, as well. Um, although here's like a gestalt moment. And as Kimberly was speaking and we have similar kind of temperaments and you're talking about wounded, it it makes me wonder, because I know this was for me, maybe for you, Kimberly, like, did you feel the wound? Did you feel something when she said the word wound and she was carrying something around that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, my, my, my body can fire off and I can, I can have, mm-hmm. have the feelings of uh, protectiveness, you know, um, mm-hmm. anger, um, you know, cause Jen and I are close and things like that. My body's, I'm, I'm even kind of wanting to get into a defensive <laughs> posture for her and, and kind of, um, you know, what, what's their name and why would they say that? And, and that kind of thing. And give me yeah. their address and I've got people. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because so, so here's a gestalt moment, right? And then here's what was coming up for us. Right. So when, when I heard Jenna say that she was wounded, like I wanted to like care for her and hold space for the wound and attend to it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but this is an illustration of that in terms of like, what am I noticing in the moment? And as this phenomenological process is unfolding just between the three of us here, that's what emerged. And then that's kind of what you notice and use and for discernment and awareness, those kinds of things. 
And then if you were in a therapy session with me, I would have you put you, your wound out there on a pillow. And you, would, you would make my wound a pillow of your mini <laughs> baskets of pillows. So, so I'll, I'll keep this moment going. Your attention to that space, Dave, and asking Kimberly to go, what did you feel? And she goes, oh, gosh, we're so close. I felt protective. And she's got some background on that story. And you went, oh, I just want to hold space for her. My body melted. Mm. My body felt warm and like, Oof. You know, like I chose vulnerability. I chose to tell a little bit of a story about something that stings and I can get in touch with that charge. But you guys being humans that want to connect with that and know me and know that experience with me. Oh, that lets me like, like I can just like let that go in my nervous system. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the dynamic of Gestalt or holding presence is you know, here's your pain and here's two people willing just to hold space and acknowledge and be present with it. And I Mm -hmm. find this a lot with shame, with many feelings, but in particularly shame too, where, you know, people are feeling all this overwhelming sense of shame. And I, I'm, and I invite them, let's just allow shame to be here present in the room. And then I may even invite them, what do you notice as your shame is present? And would you be willing to notice that I'm seeing you? And I'll just take a moment and allow them to notice that. And like, what's happening? What are you, what's emerging for you? What are you noticing around that? You know, it's pretty powerful just to acknowledge, wow, you're really seeing me and you're seeing this aspect of shame and you're not rejecting me or condemning me or hurting me around it. Mm -hmm. And then, then you invite them, notice what that feels like. You're being seen and you're still being accepted. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's a sweet work. Okay, I want to go back to something and ask your thoughts and questions. And before we hit record, you were sharing with me that you are um, in, endeavoring into like uh, another academic um, journey um, at seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is, so I've, I've hopped back and forth between um, what I would say are faith-based programs um, training and counseling to non-faith-based programs. Um, so my undergrad was uh, from a state secular institution in psychology. My master's was in a faith-based integrated training counseling program. And then my PhD, which hopefully I'll wrap up, um, <laughs> is is that a, another state secular approach. Um, and all have been good for different reasons. But I will tell you, because I've been in all of those arenas, I do believe that some people, both inside and outside of, uh, I'll say the church, um, faith-based communities, believe that those approaches that would fall in the humanistic category, which Mm -hmm. Gestalt is one of those, Mm -hmm. are anti-theological, are anti-God, not helpful to faith. And you are sitting here saying, look at this beautiful work where I can... I would say, be the hands and feet of Jesus mm-hmm. with someone beautifully because of my training in Gestalt. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I teach people how to do Gestalt pastoral care. I do this work. Can you speak to that a little bit? I think you would probably be better at it than I would. And I, I want to I hold some space for that because I think some people are afraid of doing certain types of work because they're afraid it is anti the gospel or mm-hmm. anti scripture. Yeah. And, and that's a big, complicated question, right? <laughs> and I think we're, we're so politicized now and even within the church. And um, so I'll, I'll preface it by saying 
um, I work with the spectrum of Christians. Uh, so, you know, either liberal or conservative, and I, I really don't even like those terms. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But just to kind of give some, you know, meaning around that, um, is that I, I find um, so, some of what we're taught, and maybe this happened back, you know, with Augustine <laughs> and kind of separating out the body and then the enlightenment. Um, and I think uh, when I work with more sort of theologically conservative uh, Christians, uh, there's some interjections. I'm using Gestalt term here, but there's some faith interjections around what do feelings really mean? Uh, what does it mean to be in my body? And I think that there's a lot of uh, teaching mm-hmm. that takes place that um, parses out and separates and uh, disconnects aspects of self uh, in some faith circles that has done harm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, feelings don't matter. It, it's all about, you know, the thinking and renewing your mind. And I'm thinking, well, renewing your mind and I'm building new neural pathways with different experiences. My mind just isn't the, the cognitive part is such a small part. Our thinking part is such a small part, but the rest of the brain that is nonlinear yes. logical or language or literal, um, but still tell us a lot of what's going on. And, you know, we're embodied beings and Jesus was incarnated and in being an embodied being. And our, our brains are created by God. It's a masterful organ that grows in tandem with other brains and especially our relationship with God and with, with others, um, that there's, there's aspects of it. And, and so there's actually research that really shows uh, when we're in more of a meditative state, which is more right hemisphere, which is present moment. And it's non-linear logical language or, or literal. Uh, it's more experiential, more present. And that ke- keeps us in present moments, which keeps us in the parasympathetic state, which is relaxation, which is more of a meditative state, which is where we can become more discerning of God's voice, more discerning of how God's uh, kind of leading us in that state. Uh, and there's uh, a lot of studies now, even by secular researchers looking at um, how these meditative states help to enhance our interior singlet, which is the compassionate, empathetic part of the brain, and decreases the activity in the amygdala, which is our alarm system about fear and anxiety and, um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but when we're not mindful of those things and we're not engaging in these embodied kind of practices, then our amygdala is more activated. And our anterior cingulate is more decreased, which means we're more angry and more fearful and less empathetic. So what I find, like there's these pieces of the puzzle that have become more holistic for me in the way that I see how God created us, uh, how God created the world and how mm-hmm. like we're really integrated beings. And if we're not really focusing on that approach of healing and integrating all aspects of ourselves, then we're not going to be healthy. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I I think you've added a, a really beautiful layer to the conversation, inviting people to consider that mental health and the church are not at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, uh, I, I think we're growing in this area. And I think uh, there always seems to be like a lag time with this kind of stuff in the church. You know, we know this about sex out, uh, sexuality, right? As we're trained, mm-hmm. there's a lag time about, <laughs> hey, the church getting on board with what we know to be healthy around sexuality. Um, but the same with trauma. Um, and I would really love to do more with uh, trauma-informed care within the churches and training around that. Uh, 
that would be just great. Um, but there is this lag time about how do we kind of, kind of connect our, our total being. Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree. I'm curious what you would, speaking about trauma, what you would say about what we're going through uh, currently this last 12 months. There is no crystal ball to know how long it's going to take us to continue to walk out of this experience of pandemic along with all of the other things that, that, that have been piled on. I don't, you know, the pandemic definitely feels like this big umbrella link the experience that we've been in, but there's been these other high crisis, stress, traumatic moments across the country in different ways. You know, with your background and um, your trauma-informed lens and your gestalt whole person approach, would love your thoughts. I would love to to get inside your, you know, just your thought process as to what's going to happen and what you're worried about and what you'd want for the for people in the world as we walk through this and heal and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's an interesting space and time that we're in now. So it's a great question, um, and I'm sure you all are experiencing it uh, in your. Uh, areas there. Uh, But I've just been overwhelmed and bombarded with clients uh, in terms of the effects of the pandemic, what it's evoking up in terms of depression, anxiety, and even trauma. Uh, And especially now as more people have died. Um, And then looking just at the news combined with the political, uh, you know, tensions and the polarizations and Mm -hmm. uh, rioting and the racial kinds of tensions in our country and just what's happening around the world. Um, And I think even if people aren't aware of it, we can be impacted by trauma, but not call it trauma. And so I think, I think that the next, uh, well, I think we're in it now, but sort of the next pandemic is going to be this whole uh, trauma piece where a lot of people are, a lot of us are traumatized as a result of it. Um, and then I think about what does that rippling effect kind of look like down mm-hmm. the road? We're already experiencing not enough mental health providers to provide what the demand is right now. Um, mm-hmm. But then sometimes trauma symptoms may show up much later. And what does this look like in, in the population? What does it look like you know, with our kids and how they're growing up? And then there's that yeah. whole concept of uh, epigenetics and how we can mm-hmm. pass down trauma genetically. Um, yes. And so what does that kind of look yeah. like down the road in generations to come? Um, I mean, and, and we look at, you know, even how like Holocaust survivors, their kids and grandkids may not have experienced um, trauma themselves, but they show trauma symptoms as a result mm-hmm. of the epigenetic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, experience yep. around that. So it is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody knows what will happen. We're all kind of postulating, you know, based on these other things that we know. So like you listed off, um, you, we know trauma symptoms can, can have a delayed onset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would add, and we've said it before on the show, is well, I don't always measure trauma or define trauma by like what the DSM says. Like uh-huh. I measure it by what your nervous system says. Right. Like, What's in front of me? I see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like what does your nervous system say? Um, and so uh, 
I, I do tend to be a little bit broader with my use of that term. Um, and so I think that's there. I also think there's maybe some misunderstanding as to, well, only the people who, and I'll use, I'll, I'll specifically talk about COVID, only the people who are scared of COVID are the ones that are traumatized by it. And I have made the argument from jump, no, like even those who believed it was made up are traumatized by what has happened the last 12 months because it's impacted them, right? Like exactly. their fears, their concerns, their impact has a different perspective that they're looking through, but it a hundred percent still impacted their lives. And so the collective mm. trauma is not just based on your political view or your feelings about COVID or, you know, which side of this conversation you were on. It really is so collectively widespread. I don't think we realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we're looking at that sometimes. And then on top of the delayed onset that we can have with trauma, we also have this kind of natural delayed onset of the crash that happens when the body finally realizes that it's not in stress or crisis anymore. Mm -hmm. And it goes into this forced physiological recovery mm -hmm. that is going to feel like may in fact be, but you're going to feel like depression. Oh, I have, I don't have to be afraid anymore. So now I can rest and your brain just naturally starts to shut down you know, the parts of you that can fire off and get aroused by the phone ringing and the pinging and the joy and the pleasure center goes, okay, now it's time to recover because you've been over aroused for too long. Right. Um, and people are going to struggle with what that is. Right. Um, and how long it takes to walk out of it. Right. And especially if that episode happens, like say the pandemic is over and it happens months later and there's not this correlating to what has happened mm -hmm. the past year or two about what's going on. And I think it also, um, I think it also speaks to sort of our field and the structures and how often uh, therapy is really uh, looking at how is it that we reduce symptoms? How is it that we fix this problem or, or you know, bring a solution to it? And I think uh, in Gestalt work, but also in my spiritual formation uh, training, is um, we're not going to have easy answers to any of this. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean like I'm not going to struggle anymore. And so I think it's really important is how do we invite folks to this place of holding space for themselves, but holding space for suffering? And I find that it's, it's really important to develop a really good, healthy theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I had a colleague of mine who had a friend that lived in another country and they haven't been to, to the U.S., but they were invited to come and visit. And the friend asked him, hey, what, what did you notice? And his reply was, well, I noticed like people have no clue about what it's like to really suffer or to understand suffering. It's like you just, in the US culture, you just avoid everything you can about suffering. And I think in our faith, it's this place of how can we help people and invite them into this place is you can be grounded, you can be uh, anchored here, you can be suffering and you can be okay. And here's this place where we invite God's presence in the same space as my suffering. And what mm -hmm. do you notice as God is present in the midst of your suffering? Because it's going to be here. And I think we, we exasperate our trauma and we cause more suffering to ourselves if we don't grasp this notion like pain is going to be here and it's going to be more important mm -hmm. about how do I 
navigate that and befriend it and sit with it? And how do I discern, you know, more of these existential kinds of questions and meanings around it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. It is. And I think about if we have that theology of suffering and we have a, we have a concept map for what you just described, Dave, like being able to move through those feelings, letting them all coexist. You can do that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas we have this Western, both in mental health and physical health, like it's a little bit more reactive. Like once, once I, I, I don't know, it's all about reacting to symptoms, like you were saying, or I think what I'm trying to get at is I've heard a lot of people say, well, like, well, the pandemic isn't over, so I'm not going to attend to it yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, well, I'm still in it, so I can't attend to it. And I, I think the last couple months, at least um, in my clinical work and then with some of my friends and family, it's like, no, you have to attend to some of it now. Like yes. start siphoning off what you are in. Um, you don't have to carry it at the same rate just because the pandemic's not over. Right. What you describe gives us the ability to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's this place. And I think what you're speaking to Jenna is uh, attend to your nervous system now, because you're still going to need to regulate Mm -hmm. it. And then we know about trauma and like resiliency factors is if like you're talking about it when it's happening, that you're having safe spaces to hold places for your feelings and giving expression around it. But what I I do a lot of grounding uh, with folks and getting them into that parasympathetic state. And I'm like, look, every hour, every day, you need to take two to three breaths and relax the muscles associated with your vagus nerve. <laughs> okay, Dave. Okay, Dave. This, this was, this was, if I have to, if I had to share one dream of this, of for this episode, it was that you could possibly walk us through the exercise that you do with engaging the vagus nerve um, and describing that. Cause I, I don't, think I've ever expressed this to you, but the training you did at CAPS a couple years ago, you do I, now so daily, masterfully. I now daily do that exercise and you've changed my uh-huh. life and you've helped me oh, wow. um, to engage my vagus nerve and just do that really good daily work. And so I would be curious and I'm kind of throwing you a curveball here, so I hope it doesn't throw you too much, but <laughs> would you be willing to walk our audience through engaging kind of that that head to toe you kind of start with the roof of your mouth and you work through to to get the vagus nerve to you do it so well relax and you have this great (laughs) voice like you really should like do some audio work where you like do this and sell it and record it because you have such a great voice that's what i like to do once once my dissertation's over (laughs) Uh, yes all right. So, yeah, thank you for inviting me to do that because, as you know, Gestalt is experiential and it's really doing it is what makes the this, this shift. So we could talk about it, but now you're inviting me to let's let's do it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of model what, what I do with some clients. So uh, mm-hmm. if you're we're going to do it. So when we disappear and close our eyes, just so I mean, y'all don't have video for the listeners, but like he's going to be watching Kimberly and I like get back in our chairs and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be your people. All right. So let's begin. Uh, So we'll begin by just noticing your body making contact with the chair. Notice where the two meet. And then if you're willing, take a deep breath 
Breathing in through your nose, down into your lungs and diaphragm, and exhaling through your mouth, slow and steady, like breathing through a straw. And you want your exhale to be longer than your inhale. And then if you're willing, relax the roof of your mouth. Imagine going into your sinuses and allowing them to relax. And remember to breathe. Then if you're willing to slowly allow your tongue to float to the roof of your mouth. Relax your jaw. And if you're willing to allow the muscles in your face to relax. And allow your shoulders to drop. Release the muscles in your abdomen. If you're willing to relax your pelvic floor muscles. And take a deep breath. And then if you're willing to focus on what you hear, And then if you're willing to use one of your hands and feel a surface or material and focus on the texture. And remember to breathe. And now if you're willing to open your eyes, just notice, what do your eyes take in around the room? Noticing color, shapes, lighting, textures. And then if you're willing, I invite you to uh, draw your attention inward inside your torso. And you're just noticing what's present. And here's a place, and what I mentioned earlier is a place of discernment as well. And, and so sometimes here's a place I'll invite folks, would you be willing just to notice God's presence? It's not necessarily praying to God, 
but it is noticing, how does God show up? How is God present with you right here and right now? And then when you're ready, you can come back present here on our call. And then we kind of, if you, the two of you want to express your experience of that, then <laughs> that could be awful. I love all your gestaltiness, sir. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. No, I, um, my Vegas nurse says thank you. I know um yeah no I think it's just again I mean yeah this this exercise um it's we've all been trained in similar ones but th this one in particular that you teach Dave is so so helpful um for me to just check in with myself and like, you know, before the call, I probably wasn't as checked in because I've been running through my task list from the morning and seeing clients who are recording the podcast and all that kind of thing. And so like, okay, yeah, all that tension in my belly and what's, what's that saying and what's going on for me. Um, and then I just love how you, you integrate the spiritual into it and just mm -hmm. the, the, the felt sense of that, that. I don't even know if I have, ways to articulate through words because again that's a different part of my brain but experiencing God um in mm -hmm. in that exercise that is so so helpful to my nervous system so peaceful so relaxing um encouraging I don't know just again struggling with words because but but feeling very integrated right now. I'm feeling very aware mm -hmm. of all the parts of myself. And so that feels really good. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you, Dave. Thank yeah, you so that's much. great. Thank you for the, for the feedback. And, you know, this is what energizes me about the work and the integration of it, because mm -hmm. like, I, I'm so blessed by having this front row seat of watching the Holy Spirit and God kind of show up and really allowing mm -hmm. people to make these shifts and to heal and to move beyond being enslaved to trauma and the symptoms that, you know, come with all that. Um, that's what I love uh, about the work um, is yeah. watching people really get free. Yeah. It, there is something really, um, really felt about how you honor and hold the space really sacred, Dave. You really, um, and I, I have felt that with you before. I definitely think I can feel it today. I, I have faith that our listeners will be able to feel that too. It's very honoring, very open, very kind, very gentle. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I will ditto my nervous system. Thanks you. That was a <laughs> gift. I think our listeners will love it so much. Um, I, I have a feeling they're going to come back and, and just fast forward to the end and be like, okay, I need Dave to walk me through my nervous system, like relaxing. Here we go. Yeah. And so you've given us a gift, everybody breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You should be doing this all the time. Yes. It's good yeah. for you. Good for your body. Good for yeah. your soul. The more, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, we close the show, uh, with the same two questions every time. And so, 
Um, let me ask you this, like, what do you want the audience to take away from our conversation today, Dave? Like, what would you want to leave them with? Yeah, well, it sounds like we're leaving them with this guided uh, relaxation uh, piece, but but I think uh, leaving them with that, but but knowing that um, they can have this real deep sense of God's presence and healing in their lives, um, that God's sovereign. Uh, he created our bodies uh, to be grounded and anchored uh, in him, but also with that comes, some, comes freedom. And, um, and I think just having that presence uh, really helps to anchor us, especially in this time of upheaval and uncertainty. Uh, so, yeah, I would like the audience to uh, invite them to move more into uh, experiencing mm-hmm. God's presence on this felt sense level. What would you say your takeaway is from our time together today? Yeah. So, yeah, my takeaway is um, I I love this kind of energy and talking about these things and especially with colleagues and like, you know, those of us who have these kinds of connections. And so I think I think my takeaway is that I probably need some more of that as more of a resiliency factor in my own life with this upheaval and pandemic. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I think my takeaway is uh, how do I kind of create these spaces for myself to help heal mm. uh, during all this as well? Yeah, absolutely. Dave, thank you so much. Yeah. Your, thank you. Your wisdom, your gift of time. Um, I know that you're you are very busy, um, but you've you've given us, I, I could speak very selfishly, us a gift. Um, but I know our audience as well. So thank you so much. Hey, it, I'm glad to be here. It was exciting and it was great catching up with you guys and hope to connect in the future. Oh yes, we'll do this again. Yeah. All right, blessings. goodness that was so good I just always love and appreciate any opportunity to spend time with colleagues which selfishly is why I love doing the podcast so much because we get to do that there's there really is kind of an ulterior motive here (laughs) I know like we have an agenda and it's to hang out with all of our people and Dave is so one of them um so curious what what's your takeaway from our conversation today um Dave is brilliant. Being in his presence as a colleague is um, always a good reminder of the, the practice. I think in the season that I find in myself, which we've now had Christy on the show and Dave, and we've got just an incredible series of people that we're interviewing. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember the one of Christie's takeaways was I'm just reminded that I need this and this felt good. Kind of what you were just saying. I walked away from our interview with Dave Janvier remembering how much I enjoyed spending time with him and you. And um, he really does, which is, is very much so the Gestalt style completely embodies being in the here and now, even mm-hmm. in his personal life. You can tell that. I don't think all clinicians do that, if I'm being honest. And so he brought that to the space. And I think in this season, it's really easy to be disconnected. Like I, I really do endeavor to practice being present with people 
in all areas of my life, not just not just clinically as a like a theoretical approach, um, but in a season where we're all struggling with probably burnout in reality. Like I think we have global burnout. Like I'm just gonna mm-hmm. put that out there. Um, one of the things that our body naturally does naturally does in response is is to to be dissociative and to disconnect because there's so much overstimulation or under resourcing happening internally. And so his presence just um, made it so easy to be present and it felt very, very good. And so I felt experientially in the name of Mm -hmm. Gestalt, experientially challenged to, to lean in and try to practice that even though it's really hard in this season. So it was a very good experiential, uh, kind of moment for me Mm. yeah yeah I would say the same thing and just the what I walk away with is again I think it's reminders I think it's um the power of community right just the power of being with professional community and I think we've all with no judgment for myself or for my colleagues, I think we've all kind of gone into our professional holes a little bit. You just survive, you know, um, burnout and stress and holding up space for our clients, but, um, how we need each other and how much I want to try to even fired up creative juices for me to try to figure out, is there a way to have a rhythm of connection with colleagues like Dave Yep. you to sit around in a group and talk about what, what are you noticing? What's coming up for you? What, what is in the here and now and what do you need from the group and each other and mm-hmm. what that does. And it's hard work and it takes energy. So I know why we don't do it to your point, but um, yeah. because I'm feeling the benefit now after this conversation, it does, it's cyclical and it fuels the desire to pursue that because then it gives me, gas in the tank to keep going. Yes. Um, there was a so refill yeah. effect. Yeah, today. absolutely. Such a gift uh, um, to, to myself, again, selfishly. I hope our listeners feel the same way. I know they will, but um, I'm just walking away feeling really refueled um, in flight and I can keep going. And I am appreciative to my colleague for that reminder. Everybody should stay tuned. I'm, you know, no promises, but we're going to reach out to Dave and see if we can take that clip of him walking through um, his relaxation and uh, provide it in a kind of isolated way outside of the episode. And then um, additionally, I do think you and I are working on plans for how to gather colleagues. So everybody stay tuned. If you happen to be a clinician and listening, um, we've got some ideas spinning. So hopefully we can continue some of these things that we are experiencing and um, reaping the rewards of with Christy and Dave and some of these clinicians that have been on. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.